Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. Awesome. Well, if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're on John 15 this morning. John chapter 15. We're working our way through uh, John chapters 13 through 16, leading up until Thanksgiving. And really the big idea that sets the entire context for these four chapters is that Jesus is leaving. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. He is trained them, taught them, discipled them, and now he is about to leave. He said throughout uh, his ministry that he would leave. He said throughout his time with them that he would be handed over to sinful men, that he would be crucified. But now he says his hour has come, the hour for him to depart to be with his father. And we can relate, right? When your central figure leaves your life, it can be very distressing, right? Um, I remember when I was a young child, a young child, okay, three, four, five, um, when my mom would leave the house, it like totally uh, ratcheted up the anxiety in my life. And I remember our doors were much like those in the back, these different uh, plate glass windows, and I would mash my face up against the glass and all the snot and tears would combine and come down because I was a wreck. Mom is leaving, the central figure in my life, and ah. Um, well, that's in some measure what, where the disciples are at. The central figure of their life, their Lord, the Messiah, their rabbi, um, is saying he's about to leave. So Jesus is preparing them. He is instructing them, challenging them, but he's also assuring them in many ways. And what he's going to do today is instruct them that even though he's leaving, his purpose for them is not over, and they are to continue on abiding in him and bearing fruit. That's their purpose. So let's read these words and then we'll dive in. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the father takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, the father prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you, my disciples, are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What happens when the right connections are made? What happens when the right connections are made? Oftentimes, when we think of making connections, we think of people connecting with one another. When you have the right connections, what happens is that it can lead to a job. It's not what you know, it's who you know. When you're connected with the right people, you could land a job or you could get a deal on a product you're buying. If you know a car dealer, for instance, or If you know the right person, connected with the right person, they could help you on a home project you're doing. But there are other kinds of connections too, right? All sorts of them. For instance, when a plug meets a wall socket, what happens is that electrical power flows into the plug through your cord to charge your phone or empower your vacuum. Or to use the example Jesus has here, Think of the way that a branch connects to a vine or a tree. There's a connection point between a branch and the strand of that vine or between a branch and the trunk of that tree. And what happens is that through that connection, nutrients and sustenance flow through the branch and produce whatever fruit the vine or tree makes. So what happens when the right kind of connections are made? All sorts of things. You can find a job, or you can get help with your broken lawnmower, or you can charge your phone or vacuum, or you can produce fruit. Well, in the previous section of John's gospel, the one we looked at last week, John explained that through Jesus, we are in union with God. Through Jesus, we are connected to God. He is in us, and we are in Him. You remember We refer to this as the mutual indwelling of the believer in God and God in the believer. In John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus says, I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So through faith in Jesus and as his disciples, we are amazingly, graciously united with, connected to God. And what Jesus is now saying in John 15 is that there's something that happens when we're connected to God and he's connected to us. He explains that disciples of Jesus who are connected to him through faith and by the Spirit, we produce fruitful lives. So there are some connections that are unfruitful. Like if you are connected with me in relationship, I cannot help you with your household products. Unless it's like digging a ditch. Because I can man a shovel, but power tools, building stuff, doing anything more complex than digging a hole in the ground or hanging a picture on the wall. Like your connection with me is not going to produce much. Same for some of the wall sockets in my house. No idea why, but for some of them, you plug them in, no results. No power. We just work around them. But there is something that happens When we're connected to God and he's connected to us, disciples of Jesus in union with God through the Spirit, we produce fruitful lives. And the way we're going to break this passage down is simply by asking the question, how? 
How do we, as disciples of Jesus, produce fruitful lives? Just two things. First, recognize your purpose. Recognize your purpose. So look again, starting in verses 1 and 2. Jesus shares this parable or allegory or metaphor, whatever you want to call it. Maybe most helpfully, most simply, we can call it a word picture. Jesus is communicating to his disciples by giving concrete visual language. He starts off saying in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So this is how the word picture starts off. Jesus describing himself as a vine and his father as the vine dresser. But notice, why does Jesus refer to himself as the true vine? Like, is there a fake vine or a false vine somewhere? Like, what's going on? Well, in several places in the Old Testament, especially the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Israel, God's old covenant people, Israel, they are described as a vineyard or a vine. We not only see this in the prophets, we also see it in the Psalms. In Psalm chapter 80, verses 8 and 9, the writer describes Israel like this. He says, you, Lord, brought a vine, Israel, out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted the vine. You cleared the ground for it and the vine took deep root and filled the land. So this is in reference to the Exodus, right? When God brought Israel out of Egypt and led them to the promised land. The psalmist likens Israel to a vine that was meant to be planted and flourish, filling the land with the fruit of godly living. But what happened? Did Israel fulfill its purpose? No, just like Adam failed in the garden to multiply and bear fruit and make that vineyard fill the earth, so also Israel failed. Despite having received the covenant promises, despite receiving the instruction of the law, Israel failed to be the fruitful people God intended them to be. God later said to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, I planted you. I planted you, my people, a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? A wild vine being an unfruitful vine. A wild vine is not pruned. It's not nurtured. So it's nowhere near as fruitful as a domesticated, cultivated vine of the vineyard. That was Israel. A wild, unfruitful vine because they turned from the Lord. And became degenerate. And Jeremiah's message to them is that the Lord is going to pluck you up. The Lord is going to pull this vine out of the ground. And that's what happened. God's people were plucked out of the promised land and deported to Babylon. We call it the Babylonian exile. So it's into this biblical, historical context that Jesus now says to his disciples, I am the true vine. You want to fulfill God's purpose for his people to be fruitful, then you don't need to be connected to the physical temple in Jerusalem. You don't need to commit yourself to the law of Moses. You need to be connected to me, the true vine. Jesus says it's through attachment to me 
whereby we receive the power and presence of God to live as God purposed us. Now, because of where we live in the world, Southeast Michigan, not Palestine, because of where we live in the world and because of when we live in history, maybe you are not tempted to revert back to Old Testament Judaism, like many early Christians who were from Palestine were tempted to do. But we are tempted to find life and power and purpose apart from Jesus. Maybe it's money, family, work, hobbies, relationships, accomplishments, whatever. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And he later says in verse 5, you are the branches. That's our identity. Branches on the vine of Jesus. And our identity informs our purpose. Our identity as branches means that our purpose is to bear the fruit of a Christ-like life. So church, let's recognize our purpose. We are branches meant to bear fruit for God. Now we may struggle with recognizing our purpose and being fruitful as we should, but God is very committed to this process. Backing up to verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes that branch away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, the Father prunes that branch so that it may bear more fruit. Jesus says that God the Father prunes the branches of the vine that are connected to Jesus. In other words, He prunes us. He prunes our lives so that we'll be more fruitful. And again, this is very visual teaching, right? You know how this works. Whether it's a rose bush or a grapevine, a skilled gardener knows that to cultivate the most beautiful rose blossoms or the most abundant grapes, then he's got to prune that rose bush. He's got to prune that grapevine. So parts of the rose bush, parts of the grapevine are going to be cut off. They're going to be removed so that the blossoms can flourish, so that the fruit will multiply. Because when a gardener prunes out certain parts, more nutrients are directed to the flower and more space is created for the fruit to grow. I'll say it in this little Johnny Cochran type rhyme. For the fruit to grow, some things got to go. I don't know why that came to me this week. I have not watched an O.J. Simpson documentary in a while, but that came to my head. I was like, I got to say that. For the fruit to grow, some things got to go. The Father has to remove things out of your life in order to fulfill His purpose for your life. So we've got to ask ourselves, what does the Father need to prune out of your life? What in your life needs to be removed so that more nutrients can be directed toward fruitful, godly living. So for the last two years only, my wife has been urging me that a certain hobby needs to be pruned out of my life. Only two years. 
This hobby wasn't anything sinful or necessarily bad, but she said, it's distracting you. It keeps you on your phone. It's not something that really helps us connect as a couple. Like, be done with it. So last month, just two short years later, I'm a very spiritual person. I finally yielded. But I believe that's what was happening. The father had his shears around that part of my life to prune it off so that I could better fulfill my purpose as a Christ-like husband and father. What does the father want to prune out of your life? I know members of our congregation who've had to change jobs. The father pruned their job out of their life in order to get them into another job that better suited their ability to attend church, to be a part of a life group, to be able to spend more quality time with their wife and children. God pruned that entire job out of their life. I know members of our church, the father pruned a major part of their budget. Through difficult economic conditions, the money's just gone. But pruning that out of their lives to force them into deeper reliance on God and more sincere dependence upon Jesus. I know some of you guys, the Father pruned alcohol out of your life. Do we have the freedom to enjoy a drink in moderation? Sure, there is little question about that. But for some of us, we've had to say, you know what? Even though I may have the freedom to, does not mean that I should. And because of our weakness in that area, we just say, no, the Father's pruning that out of my life. I know a lot of you guys, the Father has pruned social media out of your life. Others of you have told me that the Father has pruned certain news outlets out of your life. For others of you, certain relationships have been taken away. I mean, it could be any number of things. What does the Father want to prune out of your life? And pruning doesn't always feel good, right? Something is being cut. It can sting. It can be tough. Pruning doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it can take two years. Doesn't always feel good, but it is good. Because it enables you to fulfill your purpose bearing the fruit of a Christ-like life. How do we live the fruitful lives that God intends for us first? By recognizing our purpose. Jesus is the vine. We are branches with the purpose of bearing fruit. Secondly, we bear fruit for Jesus by remaining in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. So listen again to Jesus' words in verses 4 and 5. He calls on the disciples, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit. Unless you abide in me or remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, Jesus says, stick with me. Remain in me. Abide. Stay connected with me. Because you get separated, you stop abiding then you'll be as fruitful as a broken off, fallen off branch. And he says in verse 6 that fruitless, broken off branches are gathered up and burned because they're fruitless. 
They can't do what they were intended for, so they're gathered and burned. Or if you're a broken off branch in my front yard, we don't burn them up, but I do give them a similarly wrathful fate by running them over with my lawnmower. I love running over fallen branches. And who cares that I run over them? Because they're dead. They're lifeless. They have no purpose anymore. Jesus says the same thing. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. Because it's through his power and presence in us that we can be fruitful as God intended. But as we keep going, starting in verse 7, he gives some more definition for what it looks like to abide in him, to remain in him. In verse 7, he says to abide in him through the word and prayer. Abide in him through the word and prayer. Verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then ask, pray for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In other words, we abide in Jesus in as much as Jesus' word abides in us. So think of it this way. Imagine you were an actor in a play. Imagine you'd been cast to play a role in a performance. Would you arrive at showtime for the performance unprepared? Would you arrive at showtime for the performance having never read the script? No, you would saturate yourself in the script. You would know it backwards and forwards. You would study it, memorize it, think deeply on each line so that you know how it fit into the larger story. And you would be prepared in this way so that you could become the character you were cast as. And you would know how to interact in each scene. Good actors abide in their script and their script abides in them. Similarly, for fruit-bearing Christians, we must abide in God's Word, study it, memorize it, think deeply about it, so that in the everyday moments of life, we would know how to display the reality of Jesus. And Jesus further emphasizes this point by teaching us, you heard it in verse 7, that when His Word abides in us, we can ask whatever we wish, and it will be done. And this is because when God's word abides in us, it changes the way that we pray. Because we start praying according to his will over the situations in our lives. So the word and prayer form this interconnected experience that allows us to abide in the true vine Jesus and for the true vine to bear fruit through the branches of our lives. So I want to encourage you, if you aren't already, I want to encourage you to begin a daily practice of reading and prayer. If you don't have this kind of habit yet, don't feel like you've got to start off with an hour a day. Start small. Read through one of the Gospels or even more simply, read through a chapter of Proverbs, just a chapter at a time. It'll take you five minutes max. And then at the end of your time reading, take time to pray in response to what you've just read. Almost like a conversation. The scripture, the Lord speaking to us through his word and then us responding in prayer. And I can basically guarantee that if you do this consistently, you will start to see change in your relationship with Jesus and you will start to see change in how you live your life. But beyond that, I would encourage you to get involved with others in the practice 
of scripture reading and prayer. Join a life group where we engage God's word in community. Continue to join us in worship here where we come under the sound of the gospel, where we stand under Scripture, we understand Scripture so that God can speak authoritatively into our lives. Continue to join us here. Commit to a prayer meeting with friends where you can learn to pray more deeply with others. But whatever it looks like, we abide in Jesus in as much as His Word abides in us and we live lives of prayer. But in the next couple of verses, Jesus lays out another way that we remain in Him, that we abide in Him. We do so through the Word and prayer, and we remain in Him through love and obedience. In verse 10, He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So again, we remain in Jesus, we abide in Jesus in as much as we obey Jesus. And live lives of love. I made this comparison last week, but I think it's perhaps the most appropriate analogy for what Jesus is getting at. And I'm thinking about marriage. We can compare Jesus' call for love and obedience in our abiding relationship with Him, much like the responsibility we have to love our spouse and obey or fulfill our marital vows. I made vows to nurture, care for, and hold my wife until death does us part. But if I don't obediently fulfill those vows, then we may still have the title husband and wife, but we are not abiding. No, I have to act on my vows. Love her, care for her, be there for her, provide for her, or there's really no relationship. Well, this is similar to our relationship with Jesus. It's as we keep our vows of faithfulness to Him that we deepen our relationship with Him. So, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus commands His disciples to love your enemies. Matthew 5, 44, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us simply, love your enemies. Now, if we just say, well, <laughs> to heck with that. I don't love my enemies. I hate my enemies. That's why they're my enemies. If that's your response to Jesus' command, then what do you think that means about your relationship with Jesus? It's probably not much of a relationship. And we could go on. Jesus commands us to serve one another. He calls us to give generously. He calls us to bear witness to the gospel and make disciples. If we just say, nah, I've got better things to do. Well, then there's your answer as to the state of your relationship with Jesus. But in as much as we yield to him, Inasmuch as we open ourselves to his direction for our lives, so also we abide in him, we remain in him, and are thus able to bear fruit for him. This is what happens when the right connections are made. If you are connected with me, it will not likely happen that your DIY project will get any help getting done in your house. I'm just not competent. I can fetch stuff, and I'm willing to do so, but... Or if you connect a plug into some of the wall outlets in my house, it will not give you the power that you need. Some of them just don't work. But if you are in Christ, if you abide in Him, if you are connected to Him, then His power, His presence in you will give you all that you need to live a fruitful life. Jesus 
Jesus is our life-giving source. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the true vine. So brothers and sisters, let's fulfill God's purpose for us. Abiding in Jesus and bearing the fruit of a Christ-like life. Let's abide in his love and so bear the fruit of a loving life. And if you don't know Jesus, if you are not a believer in Jesus yet, then this is the call of the gospel on your life too. Abide in Christ. The call of the gospel is not try harder at being better, no. The call of the gospel is to trust Jesus, to abide in Jesus through faith in him, to connect yourself to him and rely on his power and his presence in you to work through you. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. You can try all you want to clean up your act. You can try all you want to get your life together. You can try all you want to be a good person. But it will never work. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we cannot fulfill his purpose for us to live a fruitful, loving, grace-filled life that we were meant to. It's a difficult thing to acknowledge. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But it's the first step to actually doing something, surrendering to him, opening ourselves to his power and presence within. And so I urge you, abide in him, abide in his love. I pray it would be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.